It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thus round, I have one word and one word only for you, Proteus. What a game, Scott What Gilford. a game, my friend. I can't believe games are back now. This <laughs> actually made my Sunday better. I, Ooh. you know, downloaded it on a whim yes. or, uh, yesterday. Not and, Xbox Live. <laughs> and really enjoyed it. Uh, have you played it yourself as well? I imagine so. I have. Now, I should first of all say that this is the wind-up podcast where me and you go over, which I should probably say our name, Scott Taylor, Josh Brown. Oh, Scott Taylor. Hello, where we go over the latest video games in the industry and Whatever talking points are doing the round. So we're going to open on a few new video games that we've been playing. Then we'll dive into all the news because, good Lord, there's a lot of news doing the rounds. Certainly I uh, would recommend the video that we just shot, which should be live on the channel by now, diving into all the Horizon Zero Dawn remaster slash remake gubbins. Not going to lie to you. Go on. I forgot we shot that news, and that was <laughs> earlier this morning. It's been a long day. We've got a lot of uh, repair work being done on the office. So we're recording this in the afternoon. So apologies for this going up a bit later. Um, but speaking of new games, though, um, Proteus is on the Xbox Game Pass. It's in game preview form. It is. But which oh, really confused me. Yes, I didn't. Re- I, I thought for a second because I've not really used the game preview um, function. Function. Yes, thank you for helping me out there. I would have been stuck <laughs> on that for five we, minutes. We've had lunch. It's a long. We've been through a lot of stuff. We really have. Yeah, I've not really used the game preview function before, so mm. I didn't know if that just meant it was a free trial. And it took me about twenty minutes to figure out that it just meant like early. access. It's just early access. Yeah. yeah, it was like the Xbox's version of we can give you early access games and call them game preview. So the thing with this game um, is that it kind of lines up with uh, where Metal Health Singers are in that the Doom, like Doom, is like its own genre now. Like obviously Doom twenty sixteen, Doom Eternal from two years ago. Uh, three years three? Ago, I want to say. We were in the old office. I think it was 2020. I think it was the beginning of 2020. I think so, wow. yeah. Um, anyway, um, I feel like Doom has kind of become its own genre where you've kind of got this really acrobatic first-person arena-style combat with lots of pickups, lots of, you know, you don't really worry about reloading very much, just keep the intensity on. And I feel like um, the likes of BPM, uh, Bullets Per Minute, um, Metal Hellsinger, and now Proteus are just kind of like, they're not Doom clones, but it's if Doom was the template, these are the, the genre masters. Oh, sorry, they're, they're, they're keeping the same... Genre space. Yeah. Words, Josh Brown. And uh, and so Proteus is like a throwback. They advertise it very much as uh, it connotes old school graphics or something. And it looks like old school Doom, where if you shoot a guy, um, their sprite on the ground rotates in like frame by frame as you move around it, the same way the corpses did in the original Doom. However, the overall look of it is almost like Minecraft on steroids or something. Like everything yeah. is like tiny little voxels exploding everywhere. So it looks like old school pixel graphics, but updated. Um, and I love the look of it. Like it absolutely 
absolutely goes as well. Like it is a first person shooter, it is an arena shooter, but I think they nail the tribute to the old school whilst yes. also making it feel new. Yeah, 100%. You know, obviously, I think the immediate aspect that's going to get people into this game is that throwback style. Because, mm. like you said, you know, it's very much in the style of those older first person shooters, but kind of updated enough with mm. enough new technological bells and whistles to not just have it feel dated in the gameplay or even the presentation. Mm -hmm. It's just going for a very retro style and it absolutely nails it. However, I was surprised at how well it actually played mm -hmm. and how well it felt. The chunk of the shotgun, the explosions of the oh, rocket brother. launcher. Yes, dual wielding, uh, some SMGs. Yeah. It has a great uh, sense of weight to it and a great sense of flow to it with a sense of speed that, you know, Doom had back in the day and mm. then regained with Doom and Doom Eternal. We'll um, say as well, the soundtrack is incredible. Is like, that right? Oh, dude, I mean, I, I love Doom Eternal soundtrack and Doom 2016 soundtrack. I love what Mick Gordon brings to the table. I love his sort of industrialized, industrial electronica, whatever you want to call that genre he sort of pushed into the mainstream. Um, and even like the likes of Bring Me the Horizon did a collaboration with him. Um, but old school Doom was a lot more almost groove metal. I mean, a lot of those riffs are literally taken from Metallica songs. Um, not that they were groove metal, but the same kind of era. Um, and as soon as you finish a level in this, the level complete music is such a tribute to the level complete music and the original Doom. It's so groovy. It's got such a like baseline under it and it's just, yeah, I love the actual level music as well but I was like, you guys grew up on Doom and you love the feel of Doom music yeah. um, pre-Mick Gordon because um, it didn't have much of an audio template in Doom 3 but those original games had such a sonic footprint. Like, I miss it so much. This is kind of just, I guess, a footprint across the board is the right <laughs> yeah. word for it. This thing is making a footprint in the sand. Like, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it announces itself as soon as you boot the game up mm. and yeah, I think just top down it is a very confident product and of course it has been in early access since I think 2020 so it has yeah. come a long way and it has managed to gain that confidence through people literally playing it and giving feedback and whatnot. Mm -hmm. but this 1.0 launch is you know just uh, a feast for the eyes <laughs> I think it was the Scott no, no, it was the Shaun of the Dead script, Scott Telford, okay. I think, that described something as a baptism of gore. Very and good. And when I'm playing this game, all I can think about is that phrase because the gore in this game is exceptionally <laughs> gory. And but it's like every, super like pixelated or voxelated, like it's showerings of blood and gore and viscera, yeah. 100%, you know, it's very, yeah, it's very stylized, of course, yeah. but this is what I mean about like the technological advancements in the presentation that allow it to feel... Um, punchier than Doom was or mm. it's punchier than Doom plays now because it's like the little things when you kill someone kill a monster and they explode into viscera uh, you get that viscera on your weapon and stuff yes. so it feels like you're more part of the world uh, this time around mm. and it's that's what I mean about it taking a template and tweaking it slightly to make it feel modern and a little bit more immersive yeah man I think as well like they bring in like modern day physics and stuff if you like there's tons of exploding barrels against just like old school doom even the exploding barrel animation or visual effect is just incredible like it throws up a whole bunch of smoke and gas and everything and I think combined with watching five of the enemies burst into blood bubbles like that's still fun too it very much nails the immediacy of old school doom like I still love the original Doom, I have a copy of it on everything, including my phone. Like, I just love the feel of that game. Um, and this one isn't quite as floaty, let's say, as the original Doom, but I think that's definitely what they're skewing towards. They're trying to make, an, uh, what if Doom landed today, basically, but had a throwback aesthetic. Um, but yeah, very, very promising. I think we'll play a lot more of it. Carry on. I'll just tell you this before we yeah. uh, move on. Um, I've played a lot of these throwback kind of arena shooters this year. Mm. You know, I played uh, 
Uh, what have I played? Shadow Warrior 3, yes. Metal Hellsinger, like you mentioned. And this is the one that justifies itself the most, mm. in my opinion. You know, when I'm playing some of these retro first-person shooters, they just make me think, well, I would rather be playing Doom. I would rather be right. playing Duke Nukem 3D, or I would rather be playing through Doom Eternal's DLC that I haven't got to yet. <laughs> but with this... I'm like, no, I want to play this game. I'm mm. in it, and it's reminding me of other games, but I don't want to go off and play those other games. I want to stick with this. I'll tell you what's worth pointing out is that there was always that, there's that wing of the Doom fandom that didn't like Doom Eternal, that thought it was like, they didn't like the acrobatic sections, the more platforming sections. I love them. I like them as a breather in between everything else, and I thought they factored into the level design quite nicely. Um, but if you bounced off Eternal because of those interstitial bits and you didn't like the floating hell fortress and you you just wanted to, you just want to have a Doom, a more focused Doom, this is Doom AF. Like, like, this is the most focused thing you could get. You're getting key cards. You're getting rows of power-ups, rows of ammunition that lead you elsewhere um, with snaking level designs that sort of, like, fold back in on themselves to get to the finish. Um, it's it's just old-school Doom, but done better than a lot of, like, you know, even id Software themselves have moved away from that formula um, with the likes of Eternal. So, yeah, it's worth shouting that stuff out. Next game down that you wanted to shout out was Last of Us 2. Oh, yes. You've been, you've been playing the old Last of Us 2. Now, I've, I've deleted all the Last of Us. It was too grim for me yeah. after playing too much of it. I, I went back to Last of Us Part 1. I we played Last of Us Part 2, yeah. and I was just like, I just, I've got to play something with colour in it. And I you can't. know what? No. I totally get that, Scott Telford. <laughs> I'm not going to spend too long in The Last of Us Part 2, mm. so don't worry, people who are sick of me talking about it, because I'm also, <laughs> in a way, sick of talking about it. But yes, after playing through The Last of Us Part 1, and after The Last of Us HBO TV show um, trailer dropping, it got me in the mood to finally mm. go back to Part 2, and I'm about five or six hours in, and I just kind of realised again, how much I enjoy that game because sometimes you play a game or you watch a movie or whatever mm -hmm. and you think or you you are pretty confident that what you're playing is a sort of masterpiece. And right. then you get a few years away and you think, well, was it as good as I thought it was? Was it recency bias? Was it recency bias? Did I get caught up in the hype? And I wondered whether that was the case for myself in The Last of Us Part mm. 2, but I was so pleased going back to it that I still personally viewed it as a 5 out of 5 game. And I just wanted to touch on one thing in particular mm -hmm. and full spoilers for The Last of Us Part 2 right now. I apologize in advance, but it's been out two years <laughs> and I can't talk about it otherwise uh, without mentioning the spoiler. But what I loved about it this time around, knowing what happens in The Last of Us Part 2, is kind of just how well it portrays grief. And that kind of sounds like a potentially, you know, meaningless statement because everything in media right now is about grief. You <laughs> cannot watch a horror movie without people saying that's really about grief. But right. this gets something in particular that I just find so profoundly moving, playing it now two years after the fact. And that's mm -hmm. obviously the entire game is centered around Ellie trying to get revenge um, for Joel's death, of course, at the hands of Abby. Mm -hmm. And while that was obviously always a talking point, I kind of used to get stuck on people complaining that The Last of Us Part Two had nothing else to say other than violence is bad. Right. You know, I thought there was quite a reductive criticism going out at the time where people said, well, it's not that smart. It's not that moving. It's just saying, oh, look how bad revenge is. And we, and we know that. And yes, yeah. we do know that. However, man, I just think The Last of Us Part Two is so worthwhile because of how it shows Ellie's grief in that opening stages. You know, she is fixated on the last conversation that she had with Joel. And I think it's a very kind of a human experience that we never get the perfect send-off with anyone, mm. any anyone we know. It's so rare to be able to have a sit-down and kind of have a goodbye, and more importantly, be on good terms with someone when right. they do go. And I just think the way this taps into Ellie feeling this lust for revenge because she kind of blames herself in a way. You know, her and Joel had these few years where they didn't talk, 
that she views as being wasted. Yep. In going back to the start of the game, you kind of realize through her diary entries, through a few kind of things that she mentions to Dina or whatever, how fixated she is on that last conversation that she and Joel had where mm. they finally reconciled and they finally had the future ahead of them. And then that was snatched away the very next day and yes. they never got to capitalize on that. And just kind of, again, because they keep that a secret in the game itself, you know, that's kind of a twist towards the end where mm. you don't really know what happened with them. You don't really know what they spoke about on that um, final night together. Knowing that from the start in seeing that seeded throughout it's just it gets something about the human experience <laughs> so right my friend that moved me again to tears and i just thought that was worth shouting out because there's so much to that game and yeah you might not like the plot points or whatever but i just think it's way more thematically rich yes. than a lot of people give it credit for because like i said there's a lot of reductive criticism out there in my opinion mm-hmm. and it's just it is rich, I think. It's very, the thing is, I, you were saying there when you started that point that I think, you know, like going back to it, wondering if it was still going to hold up. Time is is a healer. Time is the best thing you can give The Last of Us to because it's divorced from, even if you came down on it positively, the fact that all the leak stuff happened beforehand where it was like, oh my God, is that real? I don't want to know if I've been yeah. spoiled. Trying to just take something in as a piece of art and just see what you think about it. Um, yeah, when I went back through it again um, a few months, I thought I'll go, I thought I would queue up part two across the year and then I ended up doing all of Ellie's stuff and quite a big chunk of Abby's stuff again. Um, but yeah, the thing that I loved about it was just it's infused with humanity. I said this in the video explaining why everyone was mad at it back in like 2020 or whatever. Um, but I think overall, you know, The Last of Us as an IP is very like human um, championing, like the idea of like human experiences, life experiences, wildlife. Go go find the giraffe and pet it. Go find these different animals and, uh, you know, and live your life. And like, that's the thing. If you roll that back into the way that Ellie feels that she's robbed of the time that she could have had with this person who is still her surrogate father figure or the nearest thing she has to a father figure in that world and it's robbed from her it completely adds a different dimension to why she's doing everything in The Last of Us 2 um, but yeah the thing that I got back got, got from it going back through it again um, was all the um, cycles of violence and cycles of um, trying to live together and um, different structures that emerge from just us as humans that we tend to chase something faith based which is a lot of what um, uh, emerges with the Seraphites and then we tend to chase something militaristic or um, something that has a rule set and that's what the um, WLF is and it's like all that stuff is always in there you could have got that back in 2020 but I think when you know the full picture and you go back again you kind of just pick up on if you read every piece of you know every document everything that's yeah. in that world um, you find out about like where you know that faith comes from for the Seraphites and you find out like how hate is bred through rule systems and maybe you're better off just hanging out with your um, you know surrogate daughter surrogate father and going and petting a giraffe and maybe that was the highlight of your entire life or whatever and um, yeah I think The Last of Us has so much to say it's very much embedded in there and you've kind of in a way you've got to go looking for it because obviously there's a lot of collectibles and stuff but it is so it, it, it ages with you and it's such a mature piece that I think if you go back to it with an open mind or just you know divorced from all the conversations that were happening at launch you'll always get something else out of it 100% it's yeah. just so rich like I think that's kind of what I again echoing what you said there you know my myself was so caught up in the actual beat for beat plot points and what is happening with these mm. characters that yeah I think you know I'm pleased this story is being told in the world of The Last of Us because you have a connection to those characters mm-hmm. and you can understand that loss but I almost wish that it was its own story so then we could talk about kind of how rich the thematics are without it always reverting back to but this happened to a character people love <laughs> and people don't or some people don't uh, like that yeah you know? I, I'm kind of I'm so at this point I really want them to do a part three I want it to be a Last of Us trilogy and I want to know or I want to like you know have a bit of distance from whatever the part three is and then holistically look back at that entire trilogy because I found a lot more um 
I don't know if it's fun, but I liked reframing Last of Us Part 1 and thinking, we always think of it as Joel's story. Obviously it is, you're playing as him. He's the lead protagonist. But like, even just the way the box art has changed for The Last of Us Part 1, the remake that we just got, um, it's Ellie that's front and center. It's Ellie's story in Part 2. And maybe it's maybe it's going to be the Ellie trilogy in, in the whole thing. And her just looking for a family and looking for a place to be because in that context or in that world, she was always just cast off. She was treated as the um, potential cure and she didn't have any chance to really gravitate to anyone. But she's something in her wants a family or wants a relationship and there's like you said when that gets ripped away from her that is like anger it's sadness it's what f fills her out as a character um, which again was the thing that I loved when I went back through part two I was like there's so much of you when she gets disturbed when she's like has the night with Dina and they're like smoking weed and whatever and then they get disturbed because they have to go try and find Joel and the look on her face is like it's happened again yeah. I've, tr I've let myself be vulnerable by trying to be with someone and it's happened again um, and I'm going to have to I can't have this side of me and she like shuts it off across that whole game and becomes this embodied of like vengeance or whatever, but the real her just wants to hug someone and pet giraffes and just sit down, you know, mm -hmm. rather than be active with a knife left, right, and center. And I think that there's so, like, again, there's so much texture to that character yeah. um, that it's it's worth so much more than just that conversation that we initially had back in March 2020. That's it. Good game is what I'm going to come <laughs> down uh, Proteus to. and The Last of Us 2, not too bad. Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, to move on, um, I played a hell of a lot of Lost Judgment, just throwing this in quickly, uh, something that I didn't finish last year. Um, the Judgment series, the Yakuza series, everything Ryo Gagakutu have put together, I absolutely adore. And I think that uh, it's mainly just because I've managed to finally book a flight to Japan next nice. year. Um, um, hopefully, fingers crossed, tap across, what do you call it? Cross your fingers, tap the wood, whatever we can do to uh, will it into being. I'm hopefully going to the Cherry Blossom Festival next year, which is a big old deal. So I went back on Lost Judgment. Now, this game, like a lot of people wondering where they should start with Yakuza. Um, there was a whole thing in the headlines recently about they're changing the name in the West to Like a Dragon, which is what the franchise was always called in the East. Um, and, you know, where should people start? And it's a massive franchise, like seven main installments, bunch of spin-offs, including the Judgment series. Lost Judgment might be the best place to start. Okay. Um, I think the Yakuza 0 is the best Yakuza game to start with. Um, but the Judgment series is set in the same uh, city. It's, uh, it, it brings in Yokohama from um, Yakuza 7. Um, but it's almost, it almost by definition is like a Gaiden side story because it's all about the Yagami detective agency um, operating in Kamurocho and like what happens kind of after all the Yakuza stuff and then sometimes alongside it but for the most part after um, and it's just such a beautiful depiction of Japan you can enjoy so many authentic parts of you know what I have to assume will be the real version of it and going to different cafes and going to different um, you know uh, arcades and you can interact with so many different things but I think the combat as well like just the gameplay there's so many parts to it that they just nail and it's taken them a while for me to like nail a combat system that was um, more uh, physics based where in the older games you would do a move and an enemy would crumple in a certain way it was hand animated whereas uh, since they made the dragon engine from Yakuza 6 onwards, um, you roundhouse kick a dude and they'll just pirouette all the way through a bunch of cardboard boxes and a couple of bike stands and whatever. And the way that they flesh out uh, Takayuki Yagami's moveset in this one um, is that you have way more options open to you than you ever did when you were playing as Kiryu. Um, you know, you can run up walls and kick off them. You can flip over dudes and do like a like a slam or whatever. Um, you just get so much stuff that I just, I'm just drinking this thing in. And it's not that I wasn't before. My save was about 10, 12 hours in. Um, but I just, I had a handful of chapters left to do. So I've just been doing everything in this game and just absolutely loving it. Dude, I'm so excited to get so to this good. game one day. I just need to sit down and play it because every three months I mm. have the urge to play this title and something comes along. It's not in the same I don't have it on me. Dragon Ball Z comes back around right. and it keeps, you know, disappearing from my life. But one day 
and I yeah, I hope it comes soon, I will play this title because <laughs> it has everything that I want out of a game. I will say as well that this game's story is just so much fun, just so over-the-top, ridiculous. Um, well, I say over-the-top and ridiculous. That's what the Yakuza series kind of went into. Like, Yakuza 3 onwards was just lots of, like, this dude's got a clone, and then this clone d- died, and then at the end, they've been alive all along, and, you know, whatever. Like, Metal Gear Solid 4-style over-the-top <laughs> stuff, which I always love. I always thought that the Yakuza series was, for me at least, was second to Metal Gear if I want that fix, if I want that over-the-top, just you're on a, going on for the ride kind of thing. Um, and this is this really cool um, detective story that sort of starts as like a high school setting where you're sort of investigating different cases of bullying and becomes this whole sort of investigative piece on what's happening in the criminal underworld and how everyone's connected. And there's just various wrinkles to everything that only expand. And there's all these different twists. And, you know, you get a piece of evidence that reframes everything to that point. Just really good detective stuff. And I feel like as much as ju- uh, the first Judgment had lots of really cool reveals, you know, the series is known for its cinematography. Like, again, it's quite close to Metal Gear in that regard. Um, um, this just nails all that stuff. And a skateboard to get around the open world. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it all runs 4K60, whatever. You can just drink the whole thing in. And, like, yeah, if you want to just pursue the main missions, you totally can. Um, you know, the main story is about 15 to 18 hours long if you just burn through that, um, from what I've heard anyway. Um, or you can get lost in all this side stuff where you're trying to be the best, like, mentor to the, the kids in the high school as you can because you've been hired as, like, a handyman. So you're doing, like, dance competitions and you're learning how to box and you're teaching them how to do skateboarding or whatever, and you get leadership points, and that fleshes out a whole other wing of the case that you can look into, plus all the other open world, open world side missions, and the Sega Arcade, Josh Brown. Nice. If you want to play Sonic Frontiers, sorry, Sonic Frontiers, I do want to play Sonic Frontiers. If you want to play Sonic Fighters, I don't. That whole game's in there, so is Virtual Fighter 5, so is Super Hang-On. I They're do all in there. want to play Virtual Fighter 5. <sighs> it's, it's, it's a very good, um, it's a very good kill some time game if you just want to explore the open world, nice. with a really good meaty story that's just so much fun to go through. And it's always been there. Yes. Um, Star Wars style. It's always been there. But I think that um, I went from Judgment 1, I replayed that again, into Lost Judgment, did about 10, 12 hours of Lost Judgment last year or the year before, whenever it came out, and just went, I'm going to pick this up later. This is brilliant, but I'll pick it up later. And it's hitting so strongly right now. It's so good. And maybe I'm just powered by cherry blossoms, but I'm loving it. Um, So yes, you. the last game you want to shout out is Perfect Vermin, which I've not even heard of. Well, here's the thing. This is going to be the most boring segment that we've ever had (laughs) on the wind-up because it's this Perfect Vermin is a 20-minute free game that you can get on Steam. That's cool. And it is a game that I'm going to recommend to people right now, but I cannot say anything about it. How do you find it? um, Well, I'm pleased you asked, Godzilla. (laughs) uh, A a YouTuber that I watch called Jacob Geller, uh, part of a recent video that they did, this game was featured, uh, and then I went and played it myself because it was so short and it was free, and then went back to the video. Yeah. Really good video. I would definitely check that out if you do play the game. Mm-hmm. But essentially, it's a, it's a title where you are dropped in an office building and then you are told what to do. <laughs> okay. And, and I, can't, I don't want to say anything else, but know that it's horror-infused, know that it is incredibly weird. It has a really, really intense and kind of scary um, industrial sound design, and it goes to some weird um, places by the end. But ultimately, the story that it tells, even though it is quite metaphorical, mm. I've used the word profound a lot in this 
podcast, but it had another profound effect That's on me good. where I went to bed and I was thinking about it and couldn't get it out of my brain and it made me reflect on my own mortality, <laughs> which I don't like to do often, but this... Uh, the best video games will make really you do well. that, though. The best video games will make you do that. And I just want to throw it out there right now and I won't talk about it right now, so mm-hmm. hopefully people can go check it out without being spoiled mm-hmm. and then on a future podcast, maybe next week, yes. I'll go into it in more detail mm-hmm. and spoil everything about it because yes. it's worth talking about, especially in this... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. In store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail23. Shopify.com slash retail23. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director, Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. Month of October, where we're going to be playing a lot of horror games and recommending a lot of horror games. Mm, two things for this. One makes me think of the best games you can play like under an hour because A Lost Phone is incredible and Emily is Away is incredible. And then it sounds like this is incredible. And then also, yes, we should do some sort of um, like a perfect vermin spoiler chunk yes. at the end of one of the podcasts. And whoever sticks around for that will hopefully have played the game by then. But I need to play it first. You do. I think um, you'll I think you'll enjoy it. I think you will. And mm. it's funny that you mentioned um, the best games you can play in under an 
an hour. Because uh-huh. I had that thought, Scott Tilford, and almost pitched you that same idea <laughs> this morning. However, it had already been done on whatculture.com. It's done by me. Yeah, I don't think it was, but uh, <laughs> we did it last year, and I thought, right. damn, because I would have loved to have put perfect verbiage. I will in see, that. this is behind the curtain thinking, but I will see how that has performed on YouTube, and maybe we'll do another one, <laughs> um, depending on if, it's, uh, if there's enough new entries. Um, anyways, um, to uh, pivot, to what do, you, what do you call the word? To transition into transition. the news portion of the podcast. Um, the first thing down is the Horizon Zero Dawn remake, like I mentioned at the beginning. Um, like I said, also go check out our video on that for our raw thoughts on that as we <laughs> record the, the news. First thing this morning, do you have any quick thoughts since then? Is it as ridiculous as it was four hours ago? I think so. And I, I don't think I reiterated this enough in the video, but if it is a remaster, Scott Tilford, yes. I just nothing it. Like I can't <laughs> get annoyed at them doing a remaster, but I also can't get excited about doing a remaster of a game that, in my opinion, does not need no, it doesn't a remaster. Either. In the same way that Uncharted 4 did not need a remaster. The thing about these first party titles is that they have so much money pumped into them, so yes. much quality from the developer side of things, so many resources that they stand the test of time. They are not games that need to be churned through or updated because if you go and play Horizon Zero Dawn right now mm-hmm. on a PlayStation 4 Pro or especially a PlayStation 5, you're going to get an incredible experience that has barely aged a day. And you're not going to look at it and go, well, why is the, the light not going through her earlobes? Ex- exactly, man. And it's like there are so many other games from 2017 that I would love to be remastered. Mm-hmm. If they remastered Prey, the oh. best game of 2017, I mean, I would love that. If they remastered Bloodborne, <laughs> a second party game that has had no love from seven years ago, that since game. it launched seven years ago, mm. I would be buzzing. It's just Sony are obviously focusing on their most profitable franchises, but the thing about their most profitable franchises is that they stand the test of time and they don't need these updates so no. quick. No, that's very true. I think uh, the one thing that we didn't talk about on the news video, which we immediately realized when we came out because we were too busy talking about this stuff, is that also uh, leaked as a Horizon multiplayer game. Now, this makes me think, ironically, of Uncharted's multiplayer because I feel like when we went into Uncharted 2, it was that whole thing of like, no one's asking for this, no one wants Uncharted multiplayer, but it was surprisingly brilliant. I actually really love Uncharted multiplayer, especially in Uncharted 4 when they brought in more superpowers and supernatural stuff. Um, But I like the way that in Uncharted, it forces you to have a third-person combat encounter with a more acrobatic feel to it, like you're climbing around a guy and dropping on them yeah. and do it and using the rope or whatever to get around. What do you think a Horizon multiplayer will be? What parts of Horizon do you feel like they'll lean on to differentiate? I'm not sure if there were more details in the report, but mm. I'm wondering know, no. whether they do, uh, they actually don't do a competitive multiplayer thing in the vein of Oh, you're not wrong. I feel like, yes, there was a line saying that What's it's, that? in theory, it's a, a, a cooperative thing. It sounds like a Monster Hunter type thing. Well, I yes. want it known that I thought of this independently in the report, <laughs> uh, but I think they might do the Ghost of Tsushima route when they introduced their multiplayer uh, aspect, which, as far as I'm aware, was more co-op based, yep. was more based around, you know, uh, PvE rather than PvP. And that, to me, would make more sense. Those mm-hmm. games are similarly structured in terms of their open-world combat, even in terms of their combat to a certain extent. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's not one-for-one, one, but that would make more sense. And it is a rumor that won't go away. Mm. I think for a, for a many years, we reported on uh, Guerrilla Games hiring for multiplayer roles. In the assumption we thought it was, was so calm. Well, we thought it was so. Well, calm. I thought it was so calm. And a few other people thought them. that it might have <laughs> been work that was going into Forbidden West. Maybe that was going to have a co-op mode. Obviously, mm. it did not. So yeah, it feels like a long time coming, and it fits right at home with Sony's strange push for live services. Well, that's the thing, right? Because like- 
sorry to cut you off there, no, I was going to say, because um, a lot of these games have had unnecessary yes. multiplayer suites, but for the most part so far, they've been quite good. You mentioned Uncharted, mm-hmm. I mentioned Ghost of Tsushima, mm-hmm. The Last of Us Factions was immense. But when will Steam on that run out, my friend? When will it run out? <laughs> I feel like in regards to um, the Horizon stuff, and yes, like Sony's overall plan for live service stuff, This one of the latest studios they just acquired, I forget the name, um, was a mobile team. And I don't know, like obviously it taken alongside the Bungie acquisition, who they seem to have bought for netcode stuff, for netcode performance stuff. They, I assume, would like a live service component for each of their first party titles, the end of every capitalistic dream, so that you only think of one product endlessly, or one brand endlessly. And when you're not doing the story stuff with Halo, you're doing your multiplayer stuff with your custom character taking down a thunder jaw with three of your best friends. Um, it's a nice idea on paper, I guess, but I, Monster Hunter is already an absolute banger and Wild Hearts from EA is trying to get in on that with a Fortnite twist right. where you can build stuff in ancient Japan out of nothing. Um, and I feel like maybe that's the next thing. It's just I can just I can see David Brent style business people sitting in rooms just going Fortnite on one hand and Monster Hunter on the other and then interlocking their fingers and just looking at someone until they get 10 million pounds or whatever it is because that was entirely what Wild Hearts felt like. Yeah. And so if yeah, if you're the Horizon multiplayer designer, maybe you do go down the Monster Hunter route. Um, but at the same time, Monster Hunter has that like section of the market absolutely dominated. That's the you know sometimes something gets so big it's that true. it just kills the competition, like Overwatch used to or like Fortnite. No, that is very true. I don't think there's any harm in Sony trying. Mm. You know, for my money, to be honest, take live services out of the equation. I do think Sony needs more multiplayer offerings. You yes, know, we oh are God, yeah. all in on like the third person, single player story driven games, which are incredible. Mm. But as we mentioned in the news, you don't want to eat the same meal for every meal, no. every <laughs> single day. And while as I love Horizon, I love Ghost of Tsushima, I love The Last of Us Uncharted, all of those games, God of War, mm-hmm. um, we're lacking in first person shooters, we're lacking in great online multiplayer games, and it looks like the finally getting around to that stuff with the likes of The Last of Us Factions and mm. uh, that standalone title that's coming out and potentially whatever this Horizon game is as well. What if I mesh some fingers and I say uh, Horizon Call of the West, Call of the Wild, Call of the Wild. Um, is a first-person game and then I look at Guerrilla's history with Killzone and I say what if their entry into the first-person space, Sony first party, is Horizon first-person true? You, my friend... There's a gun in Horizon. If you put it on PlayStation VR 2, (laughs) I'm about to... Well, I'm not allowed to say you what, I'm, yourself. what I would do. I would have to contain myself on this podcast. This yes. is a noise-reduced room for such <laughs> things. Um, the next thing down in the news is a new Legacy of Kane survey, which came from Crystal Dynamics. Now, I woke up, I sat bolt upright in my bed Sunday morning and filled this out immediately. I didn't go downstairs for my morning cup of tea. I filled no. this out because they said on the official thing, what do you guys want from a new Legacy of Kane? And they asked many questions. What do you not want to see? And one of those options was an online multiplayer. I ticked that box. <laughs> and, I, and they said, any additional comments? I said, yes, don't make the Nosgoth again. Just just oh, do yes. what you were doing before. You had a nice little run. Legacy of Kane's quite a flexible IP. Um, the difference between the Soul Reaver games and even both Blood Omen games is pretty huge. Like Blood Omen 1 is a top-down RPG. Blood Omen 2 is a camera over the shoulder, more like an action-focused thing. Um, and obviously the Soul Reaver games are more like Tomb Raider games. And then you've got um, the Legacy of Kane Deception, which is more like God of War. Like, there's a lot of different directions you can take it. However, first-person shooter is not what any of us ever wanted. No. And I feel like that put a weird nail in the coffin to a franchise, to an IP that hasn't really been active since 2003. Yes. Do you want some more Legacy of Kane? I have only played any of the Legacy of Kane games. Uh, Kane? Yeah, Soul Reaver? Was it Soul The first one. Was it the first one? Soul Reaver was on PlayStation 1. That, that came after Blood one. Omen? 
one, but yeah. it was Soul the first Reaver. one on PS1. Soul Reaver was the one I played oh. 25 years ago yeah. or however long it was. So I don't have the connection to this franchise that you do. Right. However, there are so many franchises like it that have just sat out so many <laughs> years that could be brought back. And I ask you, mm. do you want to see a new game straight away or would you prefer to see some kind of remakes or remasters and go down that route. Hilariously, this was an exact question on the survey. The well, survey was about 15 minutes long. Um, yeah, they said that. They were like, do you guys want a reboot? Do you want a ground-up remake? Do you want a remaster? Um, do you want a sequel? And it's like, if you're going to do a new Legacy of Kane, because they tried Dead Sun, that was all the um, videos, all the concepts, you know, whatever, in-progress renders leaked for Dead Sun. Um, I think actually eventually they put them out officially, but like Dead Sun was meant to be the next stage of the Legacy of Kane games um, with a completely different protagonist and didn't seem to have anything to do with Kane or Raziel. Um, but yeah, that idea of like doing a new one, you don't have that core team anymore. Like Amy Hennig is long gone. Like, yeah. you know, she's overdoing Star Wars stuff. And so I wonder if there are any notes left behind, any weird, you know, what's on the cutting room floor that you can flesh out. Um, but they, again, the, on the survey, they were like, what I do, what, you know, what elements make Legacy of Kane, Legacy of Kane? I was like, well, you guys should probably know this, but <laughs> I can tell you. And, uh, you know, and it was that whole thing about like the, um, the twin dimensional approach to gameplay where you can go between the different realms. Um, the level of character writing, the script, it always had like a really um, Shakespearean kind of tenor to it. Um, I kind of liken the Darksiders games to Legacy of Kane tonally. Right. Um, in terms of the way characters talk to each other and everyone has purpose and weight and how dare you and all that kind of stuff. And I love all that stuff. Um, I think that's what always made Legacy of Kane stand alone. And then again, depending on which era of games you go to, it depends which genre they want to flesh out. Whether they think, I mean, it's Crystal Dynamics, so I guess they have you know recent history with the, uh, trying to make Tomb Raider a mix of exploration and action. And um, whether they go down that route or not, um, I guess we'll see. But it has to feel right in terms of the writing. It can't just feel like a weird, you know, arbitrary AAA game that looks gorgeous and glossy, but you're getting crafting components and you're in a semi-open world and whatever because Shadow of the Tomb Raider was boring as hell. That's true, man. Yeah. And, oh, man, it, Crystal Dynamics are in a funny position because obviously they've just been sold off, which <laughs> gives them the opportunity to uh, revisit some of their other IP from throughout the years. Mm. But their past few games, in my opinion, opinion have been like aggressively bland the avengers oh, dude, yeah. the shadow of the tomb raider you know those i loved i cannot believe how much <laughs> i love the 2013 tomb dude, reboot. Yeah. and then they made the same game again twice yep. and it just the, the love wore off that even was, rise like oh. it was fine but like yeah. I, yeah for whatever reason i didn't finish rise of the tomb raider but i like i said i love 2013's one i don't know if it was because you had rhea pratchett on hand to help with the character writing yeah and you sort of had a more because it was the first step of this new version of lara and then and every marketing spin for like every um, advert for the sequential two games was it's the emergence of the Tomb Raider, rise of the Tomb Raider. Here she's coming back again, and I was like, are you, is she there or not? Like we did that <laughs> in the first one and the second one, and then the third one. Dude, I'll tell you exactly why I finished um, Rise of the Tomb Raider. Mm. It's because I dropped hundreds of pounds on an Xbox One to play it. Right. That's how excited I was for that game. I bought a whole new console that I touched about three times in its entire life <laughs> and it was not worth it and it eventually came to PlayStation anyway. Mm -hmm. It was the biggest mistake of my life. <laughs> <laughs> like at the time it was a huge, it was a huge deal that they'd managed to lock that down as an exclusive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember getting an Xbox One later than launch as well and I think it was the year after when it got announced for PlayStation. I was like, oh cool. Cool. Glad I got this for Project Cars then. Yep. Like yeah, something to play. But yeah, in terms of Legacy of Kane, 
um, there's into there's almost two generations of humans that have no idea what Legacy of Kane is. It hasn't hit its stride since 1996 or whatever. Um, even Soul Reaver 2 didn't really do numbers on the PS2. So it's it's quite a hard thing to resurrect. And then, you know, Legacy of Kane, um, Defiance or whatever, on um, which I think was 2003, um, that was solid enough but not great. And you were in the shadow of God of War at that point, mm. and it just couldn't line up. Like, it was cool having Kane and Raziel as twin playable protagonists, um, but they need to nail one of their gameplay styles. Like, Raziel's quite weak, so he has more spectral magic, and he's all about exploration, unless he's picking up an object and skewering a dude. And then Kane is just full-on telepathic, let me hold you in midair while I drink your blood without even touching you. Like, that's so cool. Like, that Magneto finisher yeah, in yeah. X-Men 2, give me that. Hey, I just think we need more games about vampires. Yeah. Just in general. They that's sorry, they asked that on the thing. Did they? They were just like, what other um, vampire games? What was the last vampire game that you really liked? And I was like, well, Vampire's awesome. The yeah. V-A-M-P-Y-R game. Um, but I couldn't name, couldn't think of that many really. Well, there was the uh, Vampires, the Masquerade, Battle Bloodlines, Royale yeah. game. That oh, came out good lord, there was, yeah. Which, which people liked. I was not one of them. I don't know, did they? Liked. I downloaded that, and it's and it did that thing where it was like terms and conditions, and it was like, do you want to make an account? And then I was like, no. no. And it was like, well, you can't play it. Then I was like, well, I'm going to delete you then. And that was you. it. And the Blood Rain um, PlayStation plop, no, not just PlayStation, but they ported this, the one and two over to modern day consoles. I almost bought Blood Rain 2 again. I know. Yeah. I was going to Scott, but I heard even the ports were bad. I heard <laughs> yeah. they were bad ports. Which well, if you sucked. get if you go on an Xbox, sucked. it sucked. They, <laughs> it sucked so much. Um, if you you're blood rage, blood red, blood mad. If you go on the uh, <laughs> raid two on an Xbox Series S slash X, the upresing that happens automatically is better than the re-released intended remaster thing. Right. So I just played my old version that was already upscaled and whatever. Anyway, um, next news item and hopefully Legacy of Kane things happen as a conclusion to that point is Death Stranding two. Now this Ooh. comes from Dusk Golem, a known leaker who's leaked all sorts of things in regards to. Red Resident Evil ahead of time, Resident Evil 2, and Resident Evil 7, I think he had the word on as well, or whoever they are anyway. And Resident Evil 8. And Resident Evil 8, um, always out there. And their latest scoop is about Death Stranding 2. Now, they won't reveal anything specific about the game other than to say that um, Kojima Productions have a contract with Sony and Death Stranding 2 is the last game in that contract. Yeah. And then Kojima and Sony, apparently right now, are discussing whether or not that's gonna they're going to do the same deal again going forward or whether Kojima will go and do something else. But Death Stranding 2 is nicknamed Project Ocean, which is interesting because in a tweet from Yoji Shinkawa, um, there was a piece of artwork, it was earlier this year or last year, where it was just him with a pencil and some sketches, and there was a Death Stranding submarine on one of those sketches. Right. And now that I'm seeing this is called Project Ocean, I think we're, ta- we're going to the oceans. <laughs> I'm just letting you know. <laughs> I think that's probably a good shout yeah. based on that name, Scott Tilford. Uh, hilariously as well, after this report came out, Kojima tweeted today <laughs> that he was meeting with the Sony Interactive Entertainment music, music people team, yeah. and that he was shooting something on set. Is it going to be related to Dead? Uh, whoa, not Dead. Dead uh, Stranding. Dead Stranding 2. <laughs> dead Stranding Dead two. Standing. Um, or is it going to be whatever the hell he's working on? I am I think it's that VR thing. But Death Stranding 2. Oh, yeah. What is it called? I, I don't know if he's named that yet, is he? He was... It's like a silhouette of a woman, and it kind of looks kind of like a Death Stranding tie-in thing. He had a title, but I'm figuring oh, it, what it is now. Yeah, Kojima's was, wacky world of inflatable arm flailing tube, man. I'd probably buy that for yeah. £70 pounds as well. Yeah, That's the thing. If he goes solo after this... Oh, sorry, not solo. If he, 
he takes Kojima Productions on the road, let's say, and can then do projects with whoever. Um, you know, we recently found out that there was a um, Death Stranding spin-off game penciled in for the st- for Stadia, uh, which Phil Harrison said no to, hilariously. Um, but it seems like Kojima was already sort of seeing what else he might be able to do. There was, it was an episodic horror game or something was also mm. in the works, or at least it was rumored. Um, what do you want from, from Kojima going forward? Do you want Death Stranding? Obviously, we're getting Death Stranding 2. And then do you want that franchise to be done? What do you want from Kodge after that? I think I want everything Scott Telfair. <laughs> and again, because I just I'm obsessed with this man's Twitter. He also tweeted out getting a, a like a cloud-based machine from Phil Spencer. Did he? Which again hints at that episodic cloud-based horror game that we've heard, you know, rumored for so long. Mm. I do want to see Death Stranding 2. However, I have no idea how they can even improve on that formula because to me, Death Stranding is such a great game and yeah. such a finished piece of work. Like, from top to bottom, I think that thing is immaculate mechanically. It has its issues in the story <laughs> department, but mechanically, it feels feature complete, and it's very rare that I come out of a video game not knowing how they could expand upon the mechanics that they already have. But a game that is all about walking around, and it's mm. all about hiking, and it is about you know your foot placement more than it is battering guys over the <laughs> face. Like uh, Even the battering dudes in the face was so satisfying. Yeah, it was. Like, you can burn one of the things that you're carrying to just thwack a dude in the face with a suitcase, and they go flying, and it feels incredible. Yeah, I just hope they don't double down on that, though. Right. I liked the combat is a you know in addition to the death stranding call gameplay but i hope that they don't chase the mainstream because what i love about death stranding one mm. is how idiosyncratic it is for a triple a game and i hope it doesn't lose that identity that it kind of started to lose with the director's cut editions yes, yes. with their you know stealth sections and more combat i just kind of hope Kojima doesn't have to concede, unless he wants to, of course. And but. weird racetrack DLC. I, yeah. yeah. Some of that stuff, like, that felt like Kojima just doing a victory lap. Like, I imagine at that point, obviously, it's his first new game, like, since leaving Konami in, like, 30 years, first new IP. And then, yeah, the stealth sections were very Metal Gear. They were advertised as being very Metal Gear. There was a whole in-joke with a cardboard box. And then, yeah, there was, like, racetrack DLC. There was, like, cannons that would help you fire packages home and stuff. Um, yeah, like, it is, like, a perfect thing for the vast majority. I didn't like the way the story went. I'd be curious... I'm curious what Kojima's approach to narrative is because over the years, you go back like the last 20, 25 years of his career, Metal Gear Solid 1 was translated by a completely different dude. There was there was a one-person translation team that worked for Konami back then. Um, and that dude brought in all the references to, um, I'm sure it was like DARPA or these sort of wider, um, you know, Western touch points that made Metal Gear Solid feel gritty and feel sort of grounded and everything, which Kojima hated. And that was why he demanded full control from Metal Gear Solid 2 onwards, which is why 2 feels completely different and feels so like over the top and more animated, let's say. Um, and that's why he did Twin Snakes. And it's like, this is how this was supposed to be, which I always hated as a kid. Cause I was like, oh, that's so over the top and stupid. And why is Snake riding a missile? And why can't it be more grounded? But Kojima over the years has only gotten more over the top and ridiculous and stupid. And this guy's made of fire because he died angry and now he's back as a fire demon and like whatever. And I'm just like, for me, it's a balance of those things. And it was, I forget the name of the dude that used to uh, work with him on every project who left uh, during Death Stranding, which I always took as someone going like throwing the papers up in the air and being like, I can't work with you anymore after you've done all this stuff. He's called Sam Porter Bridges. Like, what are, you, <laughs> what are we doing? And uh, so I wonder, you know, it, is, there t- is there too much Kojima in that respect? Because if there's one part of Death Stranding that's loose, it's the narrative, it's the character writing, it's the just ridiculous stuff. Like they've got... Um, 
uh, Tommy Earl Haley or Tommy Earl Jenkins. Jen- I want to say Jenkins. Whatever the dude's called that wears the mask and he breaks down towards the end of the, of the game. That whole scene, I just sat there going like, what? What are you, what's going on? Right. Like, And I know it like, works for different people, but I feel like you have these really great actors and he has so much sway in the industry. Like his latest episode of the podcast is him talking to Jordan Peele. And it's just like, he has so much sway and I wish he brought it on the narrative front. Sorry, on the script writing front. Right. Because he definitely has narrative ideas and thematic ideas. I just wish he nailed it on the character writing side. I do get that. I do get the uh, you know the want for that stuff to mm. be tighter. I I almost wonder though if that would happen and if hmm. he would bring in a course script writer or whatever. That's the thing. My gut it. says he never will. No, I don't think he will. But I almost don't think I want him to either. Right. You know, if I want Kojima, I want unfiltered Kojima. I want indulgent <laughs> Kojima. Yes, maybe bring in the an Terrence editor. Malick of video games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, genuinely, man. Like, yeah. yeah, maybe bring in an editor to help shape those ideas. But you know, if I go to one of his games in one of his stories, I want his unfettered imagination. It's like you know, if I go to a David Lynch movie and not yeah. saying they're similar aesthetically or thematically or anything but if i go to a david lynch movie i don't want his you know potentially awkward characterization either flattened out because i'm like then right. you mailed you may lose something you may lose something from the overall package that's true by tampering with that stuff could the character writing be tighter yes but would that make it less you know, Kojima at the end of the day. I think that's the sure. thing. I think there's, a, there's for me, the problems with Death Stranding and even Metal Gear Solid Five. as much as I love, again, immaculate gameplay, waning character writing. Um, I think it's, it's a level of confidence th- with which it's delivered. Like, especially in Death Stranding's case, it was like at the very end, you've got like a six hour cutscene or something because he just say, here's all this stuff I wrote. Here's everything. And just cramming it all in. And I feel like a, a team that he could lean on could maybe pass out all that, deli- all those delivery methods, across, ironically delivery methods uh-huh. for Death Stranding across the whole game, rather than have those big dumps of like two hour, three hour exposition or weird stuff like um, Sam Bridges just scratching a record hilariously in the middle of a scene or whatever. Things that feel like, you know, they could have been led up to differently or whatever different character moments that could have landed differently. But yeah, either way, we're getting a Death Stranding 2. Um, Project Ocean is all we have to go off for now. And I guess we'll see what happens in the future. Um, the next thing down is the Disco Elysium's devs are no more. Uh, Project Zaum or Z-A slash U-M. I don't know how exactly to pronounce that. Um, you know a lot more about this than I do. Yeah, well, it just kind of like came out of nowhere. Mm. You know, the... Um I think it was the the leader of that collective, the yep. Z A U M. I think that's that. Those are the right words. I'm gonna those go with right Zaum. Things. Zaum, let's go Zaum. Yeah, like the yeah the leader of that creative collective kind yep. of announced its dissolvement over the weekend and added in an addendum saying that you know like the the, the main leads of Disco Elysium also left the company mm. um, late last year and. But also that Disco Elysium 2 is still in production. Oh, really? Yes, that's still happening. It's just that the people who were mostly responsible for the direction and the writing and the art of that first game are no more. And smarter people than me pointed out that what better way than to craft a meta (laughs) Disco Elysium sequel than to have, you know, the leads of this incredibly creative, incredibly thought-provoking game be pushed out by the whims of capitalism because they've signed with Amazon to make a TV show based on it and they want this uh, game turned around to capitalize on the original title. And it's just like, man, that... 
that like it like work becomes that's reality a, that's, at that point. I actually can't believe that's that I can't believe that. Yeah. That's that's horrific. Yes. Like this okay, so Disco Elysium, I would I mean I guess if Amazon or whatever are ultimately the um the funding entity in this equation, then the games aren't gonna be going anywhere. I was gonna say get yourselves out there, anyone listening to this, and go play Disco Elysium if you haven't checked that out yet. That game is so unique and so its own thing and such an intelligent like brilliant, like just black satire of capitalism, or various political thought yep. processes, and they all sort of mesh together. And the game teaches you or tells you, you know, various things about yourself and how you approach problem solving and how you approach relationships with people, um, or whatever. All through the guise of an amnesiac detective trying to solve a murder or trying to solve whatever's happened the night before, and um, we're in this in a certain location. That thing is genius. Like yeah. you can't go anywhere near that unless you have that team of people. I don't want D- Disco Elysium two without those people. Like, and the, the TV show can get in the bin. Like, the, that's no, it, that's I can't believe that's happening. I'm with you. I can't believe it. Almost seems like it. It feels like Konami pushing out Hideo Kojima and yeah. then expecting people to care about Metal Gear. This after is Metal that. Gear Survive. Yeah. yeah, you know, at a certain point, and obviously, you know, games especially are made by so many people. Mm. Even some indie games are made by you know a big collective of people, mm-hmm. and it's not just the talents of one author or one director or one writer or anything like that. However, some games like Disco, some games like Metal Gear, are inextricably tied to the people who created it. Like when I was reading, you know, um, I think it was the lead writer or like the, the director of the of the first disco. Mm-hmm. Like this was a world that they created when they were like 15. Like they had, right. had it in their brain forever. They were writing stories based on it, writing books on it and stuff mm-hmm. and then made a game out of it. And then to have to detach from the thing that you made and have it made by mm-hmm. other people that is when you get into the kind of like the, the Metal Gear territory. Where it's very it's Guns like, N' Roses. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is to the point where how does the, the publisher, you know, expect people to care about this project when it was inexplicably tra- tied to these creatives who aren't there anymore? I think it's an, an arrogance of thinking that the brand tr- trumps the creative you know behind so the weird? brand. Yeah, speaking of brands and creatives and, you know, where you can try and hedge a bet that an average audience member will gravitate towards brand recognition rather than checking out who's actually behind it. When I was at EGX a couple of weeks ago, Disco Elysium actually had quite a big presence there. There was like demo booths and they had lots of merch and they were selling off a replica of, um, what do you call your partner in Disco? Kim's jacket um, for quite a considerable amount of money. Um, That was all, again, if the actual leads of the project left last year, then I guess a lot more branding whims are being fulfilled. Um, Because I, I, at the time, in the moment, I was like, that's that's weird that Disco has that much of a big presence because it is such a contemplative, like I said, geniusly written dissection of all these different thought processes, especially um, exploiting people in regards to brands and uh, whatever. And I, in the moment, was like, that's a weird beat for them. Yeah. But it probably wasn't them because they were never there. So now it's almost like Amazon Light are stepping in <laughs> to I mean, make it work. Yeah, I totally missed the Amazon thing for earlier this year. And again, mm. part of this is just people speculation, yeah. speculating as to why they might have left. It was just because apparently, you know, they couldn't make it work with whatever was going on. And then they were um, involuntarily pushed out. So they were pushed out, right, according right. To, allegedly, according to this, um, mm-hmm. you know, press release. I still can't imagine how you would, I wouldn't want to just, I would, I would take a Disco Elysium too by that team yeah. but at the same time Disco is such a perfect game like yes, oh my it is, god well. is it dripping in perfection you can't do anything with that you just hold it up and admire it 100% and it is like it's 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 a game as well it's a complete yeah. game and that kind of sounds weird when we talk about games all the time but you know even when the TV show was announced last year um, you know I thought how are they going to accomplish that because if anything you know it, 
disco works better as a book than it does a visual mm. kind of TV show because, you know, just the, the density of the text in the game itself, how yeah. do you translate that into a visual storytelling Plus, format? Even, like, its very name is, like, a term for, like, like, apes dancing on a disco ball, like a metaphor for life and getting through life and everything else. It is, by definition, needing active participation in that medium to get what that thing is. If you make it passive, you almost kill that immediately. Yeah, I mean, again, yeah, you... you Hit the nail on the head there, Bosh. Scott Shelford. What Disco I do. Elysium, part of its quality is how replayable it is because mm. you're the detective you're playing, you can mold who he is so much. You can be a fascist, you can <laughs> be a communist, you can be addicted to drugs, you could be straight edge, you know what I mean? Like, mm. there are so many different options that you have within that game. Um, and I don't know how you just pick one, presumably, yeah. and do a TV show based on that. I know we're fixating on the TV show thing, but even if you were doing a sequel, you know, would you pick up with that same character? Well, it's like would if, you have something else set in that world? I don't yeah, know. yeah, it's like if the, if the Walking Dead, if Telltale's The Walking Dead came first, and then you did the TV show, and you had to pick which one of the, which of those choices Lee actually did, yeah. and how that all went, it would be kind of like that. Like you'll, I mean, I guess we'll see. Maybe they've got some perfect idea for the TV show that we just don't get. But point being that the original creative team behind Disco Elysium are no more, and that like you know only reinforces that you should go out there and, and experience Disco Elysium. That, the time I have with that game, it's just it's everything. Like it's the score is incredible the character writing, the narration, and the depth of the script, and the ways that, that the trophies pop or the achievements pop or whatever, that just tell you things about yourself. Where you're like, oh, okay, I guess I, I guess this is what I'm doing then um, in regards to me just trying to be friends with everyone. You can't do it. You can't be friends with everyone. You just, yeah. you just get labeled something. <laughs> it can't be done. I think, you know, even if you don't gel with the game for whatever reason, uh, you can't deny how unique it is, like, mm. whether you like that or not. Like, I don't think there's anything else like it in no. video games in terms of its world, in terms of its characters, in terms of its storytelling. Yes, it fits in with an identifiable genre, mm -hmm. but, you know... We, we love originality in games. Yeah. It doesn't get more original than Disco Elysium. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Like, I mean, another thing, just to, to wrap this point up in terms of just how special it is, you said that you know the team have been working on it since they were like 15 or for many, many years. The conversation system or the thought system in this, where you're literally, because you're sort of amnesia, an amnesiac detective, it's a bit like the Sherlock games from Frogwares where you're sort of like figuring out what synapses, what thoughts you can even have. And so that is um, coming together over the course of this story where you're realizing how you're actually going to be able to, able to solve this case based on how you want to analytically approach a certain problem um, and it, I'm sure they said it took them years and years and years to even get that down oh, I imagine, um, yeah. that, you know chasing this uh, whim or whatever makes you think that way or saying this makes you think that way and it just feels like it's one of those games where it's such a tapestry of dialogue options and conclusions and everything else and different you know multi-point plot lines that you just you know that you're just pulling at a thread every time and that it's a really rich tapestry and it's just like oh my god oh my god Disco Elysium you know what so I, am, I recommend it to a friend recently because yeah. he asked me what he should get for his partner um, and the will of the gaming wise and i said don't you dare buy ori and the will of the wisps get <laughs> yeah start with my forest go on <laughs> instead yeah so i just cannot wait scott to experience it through them and to have him talk to me about this game because mm. it will make me want to play it again mm -hmm, and this mm -hmm. news made me want to play it again to experience just how kind of special it was the first time around yep 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 a perfect note to end on this has been the wind up I've been Scott Tilford you've been Josh Brown play you Perfect Vermin so we can talk about yes. it next week go find Perfect Vermin and a massive thank you to all of you for listening you say something and then I say I say um, it's been a pleasure Scott Tilford that's the one and I say always a pleasure to be heard by all of you that's what we do and we'll catch you next week bye bye good
that's the sound of another sale on Shopify. In store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23. Shopify.com slash retail 23. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.